I am the doctor. Whether you like it or not. Live from Black Castle, England, where we give a shout out to Sharon and ask, Hey babe, is that a stuffed animal in your pocket or is Beep the Meep just happy to see you? Protect that Black Star Drive, people. It's Doctor Who. Podshock. This is Doctor Who Podshock, episode 58 for the week of November 6th, 2006. My name is Ken Deep, alongside Mr. Louis Trapani. Hello. And joining us, our friend in the north, Mr. Mike Doren. Hi, Ken. Hi, Lou. Hey, how's it going? It's good to and, be going pretty uh, well. Lord. Mike is, uh, is joining us in uh, James's stead, as James is uh, on assignment this week. He is not being replaced. Um, despite <laughs> <Yet>. the rumors, <laughs> the weekly replacement. <laughs> yeah. So stepping in, uh, Mike is going to come in and uh, give us the Canadian report. We're going to do a little news. We got some features, the usual stuff that we do here on Podshock. Uh, and then six hours later, we'll be done. <laughs> so what's going on, Lewis? What do we have in the Doctor Who newsroom? Well, in Doctor Who news, uh, this, uh, this tip came from us from Doctor Who Online, which is reporting on the Silver Screen Records website in the UK. Uh, the release date for the Doctor Who soundtrack album by Murray Gold is slated for December 4th. So that's a little later than we originally had uh, heard, which we, you know, originally we had heard it was rumored to be the third week of November, but it's only um, a, a week and a half away, you know, later. So it's still in the holiday buying season and it will have um, the new soundtrack that Murray Gold has, you know, the theme music, the Doctor Who classic theme music that Murray Gold has done a fantastic job with. Uh, also, uh, a song by uh, Neil Hannon, um, The Divine Comedy, which uh, I believe is the song for ten because uh, it's, it's appeared in last year's Christmas special, if I'm not mistaken. And they're also offering uh, "Love Don't Roam," which will feature in this year's uh, Christmas special, which is um, "The Runaway Bride." So you'll get to hear the music before you even get to see the episode. So December fourth. Terrific. That's awesome. I'm really looking forward to that soundtrack. It's, it's about time. Yeah, it's about time and space. I'm sorry, that was bad. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I see where we're going. <laughs> and what else? It's, it's been a relatively it's, quiet yeah, news it's, week. It's been a very quiet news week. And, uh, well, when we say that, it's actually in news. Doctor Who's been all over the place. It's been very busy, but it's all telling the same story. And that story is about, about Doctor Who sweeping up the awards for the National TV Awards. And... Well, okay, maybe not sweeping, but they won three. The show has run Most Popular Drama Award, uh, Most Popular Actress for Billy Piper, and Most Popular Actor for David Tennant. And um, 
and it, it seems to be a, a runaway in, in all the in all the press articles, especially in the UK, of course. So um, once again, many awards, many accolades, uh, accolades. <laughs> I don't know. Dan accolades. <laughs> the other one is if you have an upset stomach, you take some accolades. <laughs> Uh, given to the series, and um, rightly so. You know, it's about time. We, we've said it before in the past, and we've kind of given up reporting on all these awards because every week there seems to be new awards given to the series, and we just got a little tired of reporting. Okay, Doctor Who's won more awards, and yada, yada, yada. But, um, you know, it's it's a credit to um, the cast and crew and, and the writers and everyone involved in the series, and that, that finally, the, you know, it's getting its, its just rewards. Yeah, and this, this is one that's... Uh, these are voted by the public, in the UK, mm-hmm. and it's actually uh, we, the Doctor Who won the exact same three last year: uh, popular actor, popular actress, and uh, best series, or best uh, sorry, most popular drama yes. series. Yeah, now I and, remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only difference being, of course, that it was Christopher, Christopher. Eccleston last year and David Tennant this year. Mm-hmm. So that's. Uh, I wonder. I, I look forward to seeing. Uh, I haven't seen the program, but I look forward to seeing the program and seeing how. Uh, some of the other uh, nominees and their fans react because I know last year I saw when when Eccleston won some of the uh, fans of some of the soap stars that were up against him uh, were, were a, little, a little disappointed. We'll yeah, they'll get over it. <laughs> <laughs> in other news, and too bad James isn't here because James usually fills us in on uh, the these when whenever there's a new actress or actor cast in the series, you know, when a guest role in, in, in the upcoming series. It, uh, James usually gives us the lowdown on who they are, so um, maybe in a future Pachak he will do that. Uh, but we wanted to report that Miranda uh, Ryson, or Ray, uh, if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly, uh, who is currently a star in a show called Spooks, will be in the next series of Doctor Who. She's going to be in an episode that's set in 1930s New York. So that's... Um, Pretty exciting for, 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 I guess, for Ken and I and anyone else that, uh, uh, it's good to see Doctor returning to New York um, after quite some years. An absence of almost of 40 plus years. <laughs> uh, well, I will say that uh, I'm a little disappointed they didn't call me for a part. I was available, and I still am. <laughs> well, uh, I do a very fine New York accent. It, it, and, uh, it would be, um, I'm, I'm sure they're not actually shooting on location, though it would be really cool if they and, were. And, and I'm willing to cut my hair uh, for the part. <laughs> yeah, I've, I'm familiar with her from Spooks, so that's, uh, she's, she's joined Spooks last year, I believe, so that's, uh, so that's is, pretty cool. So is Spooks um, on CBC, or is... N- no, actually, in Canada, Spooks airs on BBC Canada. I see. Uh, in the States, it has aired on A&E, it's called, but they it's... retitle it MI5. It's now oh, in, in, okay. in the right. states. Oh, it's so it is on here. Okay, I've never seen. Well, it, I've I've seen it before on, on A and E. I I don't watch much TV though. All right. Yeah, for so. for some reason they retitle it. Uh, they may actually retitle it here as well. Um, but it's uh, it's it's been on in both in both Canada and the states. From what I gather, it's it's a spy um, series, and she plays a character named Joe Portman. That's right. It's a. Uh, so it's, it's actually a pretty good show. Uh, it's it, they're just they've just uh, just want to wrap up their fifth series in the UK. It's uh, one of the few few uh, sort of hour long dramas that's uh, managed to get out five series in recent years. So that's uh, you know that's always a good sign for other shows that are perhaps uh, looking forward to having five years or more. In, in, in this same update um, coming out of the BBC Doctor Who news department, um, 
Ryan Carnes, um, who plays Justin, the boyfriend of Bree's rebellious son, Andrew, in Desperate Housewives, another series I've never seen, is also lined up for a role in the series. I take it that he's an American actor. If he's in I have Desperate no Housewives, idea. and perhaps this is for the the New York City set show. I don't know. In other Doctor Who news, we just came off of Halloween last week. It's I hope you everyone got their ghoul on and got this <laughs> ghoul on. <laughs> uh, but uh, relating to that, the Doctor Who and Torchwood teams um, got together and put together a short called Sacrifice that aired on BBC Two on Hall. I believe it aired on Halloween night or Halloween Day sometime on BBC Two, and it's called, uh, as I said, Sacrifice, and it, star- and it starred um, who, um, Camille Cadroy, who played Jackie in uh, the, t- the, the last two series of Doctor Who. Um, that's Rose's mom, for those that don't know. <laughs> I'm sure everyone knows. <laughs> and um, so I, I, I hadn't had the... Uh, pleasure of watching this. It's it's a Halloween send off or a, a short, you know, around five minutes long or so. And I, I believe Mike has seen it, and maybe Mike can shed some light on his impression of, of what this was about. Yeah, I, I had a chance to see it, and it, it does have it has Camille Kaduri as a, if not Jackie, a Jackie like character. I uh, don't believe it's Jackie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it, it, I don't know, it's tough to describe. It's only. Uh, a little over five minutes long, maybe five and a half minutes long, uh, and uh, without, uh, I guess it's, it's almost impossible to not spoil it because it's a it's a sort of a one note short uh, yeah. short film <laughs> of uh, uh, Jackie. Uh, the, there don't appear a lot appear to be a lot of other people left on Earth, <laughs> or at least in uh, whatever whatever city she happens to be living in uh, that it's set in, because uh, I don't think that's actually stated, other than. Uh, other than I said, I even called her Jackie. Oops. <laughs> Other than Camille, Camille and her child, mm-hmm. and uh, a uh, a monster that's uh, trying to catch them. I see. I mean, I, I, uh, I saw this reported on the Doctor Who News um, section, but you know, on their site. But I didn't realize it was such a short uh, feature. I just assumed it was you know a you know a thirty minute or forty two minute you know feature. But I guess not. It was a short you know that they they. They used, um, you know, for Halloween. So, anyway, it's good seeing that, um, you know, th- that other people in the team, you know, had it, you know, were able to step up and uh, do other stuff outside of uh, Doctor Who and, and, and Torchwood, and you know, come up with something. I'll have to take a watch, you know, take a look at it sometime. Yeah, it's it, it, it's interesting. It's worth watching. I'd be, uh, I'd be curious to know when it was made. If it was made uh, at some point. Uh... Um, earlier in their last year, or earlier not, sorry, not last year, but while they were shooting the the second season of Doctor Who, while they were shooting Torchwood, while they were mm-hmm. shooting the third series of Doctor Who, why is Camille Kittery there? That, that, that's what I end up wondering. Yeah, because uh, it, it it doesn't seem to quite fit in with uh, uh, the Doctor Who that's coming up or Torchwood that's on right now. So I, I'm you know just wondering if it's been in the can for a while or they they brought her to Cardiff, assuming it shot in Cardiff. Uh, you know, uh, why was she there? Was it just to, just to make this? It says it, it was shot in a rare week. Uh, neither series were filming, so um, it was a, a big chance for junior crew members to step up and test their talents as filmmakers. So, oh, okay. so I guess um, somewhere in between the two, I would imagine. Wow. 
I wonder, it must have been, uh, it must be a very rare week that uh, neither <laughs> show, because I know that, because they started shooting Torchwood uh, before Doctor Who finished, so must have been a week off, yeah. a week off of Torchwood before the third series of Doctor Who started, started up. You think these folks would take that week to their advantage and rest a bit, but no, they, <laughs> <laughs> they did their own project. Oh, good for them. As we were saying, it was a very light news week, but uh, Mike does have some news that he wants to shed light on um, from uh, from Canada and the CBC. So I'll let you have the floor, Mike. Okay, that's right. Uh, since the last time I was on, uh, we've been able to get some more information from uh, the CBC about their schedule for the broadcast of Series 2. Uh, at the moment, uh, this week, this week's episode is going to be Girl in the Fireplace, uh, after the show was uh, preempted for a, a TV movie, or rather, sorry, second part of a sort of TV movie miniseries last week. So they skipped a week, but didn't skip an episode. Uh, we're going to go through uh, regular Mondays at 8, uh, 8.30 in Newfoundland, for, for anybody out there. Uh, for the next five weeks, we'll, we'll continue through Series 2. Mm -hmm. But then Doctor Who is actually going on a holiday, a holiday hiatus uh, from December 11th to January 14th. Now, this is uh, it's not, not really a surprise. Uh, CBC tends to really concentrate on uh, a lot of Christmas and holiday programming. Uh, over the holidays. Uh, I'm a little surprised that Doctor Who's going off for so long. It's more than four weeks. Yeah. I think it's, it's yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's a long wait. Exactly. Uh, so it's, it's quite a long time. Actually, in fact, I think it's five weeks. Um, so uh, Doctor Who will go off. They've, uh, they're actually breaking the action up between Episode 8 and Episode 9, so right in the middle of Impossible Planet, Satan Pit. Um, I've heard a lot of, I've heard both opinions from fans about whether or not this is a good thing to end on a cliffhanger and come back. It's, it's certainly not unusual to end on a cliffhanger and come back, either at the end of a series or for shows that break up uh, over a couple of, uh, couple of installments throughout the season. Um, it, again, it is a, CBC is a major network and pretty much no major network will run their first run dramas or comedies or anything right through the holidays, so it's not a surprise. Just uh, perhaps uh, maybe not the best timing for when they did it. Uh, or maybe they just don't want to have the Satan pit on a couple weeks before Christmas. It's just not, not that holiday kind ah, of feeling. Ah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't uh, think of who that. Who knows? <laughs> um, why they're not coming back till January 15th, uh, I have no idea. It's, uh, it's really unfortunate. Really rather to see them, see them come back. Uh, uh, if they can't come back on the 1st, then you know, maybe come back on the 8th. Yeah, and, you know, and uh, cut things up, and then so we'll have f the the last five episodes of of series two uh, from the middle of January through the middle of February. So we've got two five episode blocks uh, coming up coming up now. Surely, you know, uh, we've had uh, we've had ratings come through. I know I don't want to concentrate too much on ratings, but we have still been getting ratings for the uh, the broadcasts. And Doctor Who's doing pretty good. It's uh, it's it tends to be around the half million mark so far. Uh, which is is very good for the CBC. It's, it looks like it's their top-rated drama this year. They're uh, they're having a real tough year. I mentioned before with with ratings, some of their shows being really really lowly rated. Uh, but Doctor Who, with uh, not a lot of promotion outside of the CBC, lots of promos on the CBC, but not a lot of outside advertising this year, is uh, is beating almost everything else uh, that they have uh, in prime time. Uh, actually, Doctor Who and Coronation Street seem to be <laughs> seem to be their two top dramas this year. 
Wow. Uh, so that's uh, that's good. Uh, let, let you know, uh, Canada. That's in the English language uh, ratings. So once you take out French-speaking uh, TV ratings, it's about out of about 24 million people, about half a million watching Doctor Who. So if you put that in perspective for the populations of different countries, it's it's not as good as some, and it's a lot better than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you work out one in I don't know one in 24, or what is yeah, I guess well one in 50, I guess would be watching Doctor Who about that. So that, that's pretty good, and we're, we're, we're pretty happy with, with how it's doing. Hopefully the CBC is happy with how it's doing. Uh, uh, they've already committed money for the next series anyway, but you, you want to make sure that it uh, still stays a priority for them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, uh, we did hear from them with no information about uh, Torchwood and uh, this year's Christmas special, and the information is that they don't know if and they don't know when they'll be showing either of those. They 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 will show both at some point. Uh, whether or not we get Torchwood this this season isn't for sure. It may not happen till till uh, after hockey next summer or even later in the year, uh, unless it overruns with Doctor Who in the winter. And then they haven't made that decision yet. And for the next Christmas special, obviously they would be a little awkward to show it on Christmas uh, again, or right at Christmas, because that would fall in the middle of uh, Impossible Planet Satan Pit. Yeah. Uh, So uh, we don't know if we're going to get the Christmas special in February, or if that'll be held back with the third series next year, uh, later in the year. Mm -hmm. But as soon as uh, I hear anything from the CBC or from... uh, 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 Rod Mamich, who's uh, our, our guy at Dwin, who uh, deals with the CBC. Uh, as soon as I get any more information, I will pass it on. Now, now Torchwood is co-produced by the CBC, right? Isn't that's right? Yeah, so it's pretty much a shoe in that it's eventually going to get to the CBC. Yeah. It's just a matter oh, it's, of time. That, absolutely, it, it will be on the CBC. They just haven't decided when they're going to slot it in. Uh, I think we'd been operating under the impression for a long time that if they ran Doctor Who in the autumn, they'd run Torchwood in the winter. Uh, before April. In April, the CBC gets taken over by the NHL hockey mm-hmm. playoffs. And it, it can be hockey uh, hockey six or seven nights a week, two games a night. It's just it's a, a huge amount. It, 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 sorry, I say that's the maximum amount. They never actually have that many games in one week. But it, it's the number one thing that happens uh, in their TV schedule. So no new shows start in that period. Uh, and if they're going to wait till Series 2 of Doctor Who finishes to start Torchwood... Uh, which you'd think they would because of the, the, the Torchwood story arc in the second series, uh, it, there's not going to be enough time to fit Torchwood in before hockey playoffs start. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but they, 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 they have said that obviously they will air it. They've helped, they've helped pay to, to make the show. Sure, so. they definitely, it's, kind of, you know, it's just a yeah. matter of time. It's not, you know, it's not if, it's just when. Exactly. All right. Well, and, uh, um, as we, we hope report- sooner, but yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Lewis. No, I was just going to comment that as we reported previously, the Sci-Fi Channel is doing something similar, though the hiatus isn't as long. That they're breaking up both the Impossible, you know, Impossible Planet and Satan Pit as well, where it's um, the the week right before Thanksgiving, um, it's going to be in the Impossible Planet, and then think the Thanksgiving week here in the U.S., uh, which I believe is. Um, uh, no, uh, November 25th, yeah, it's actually the, the anniversary of Doctor Who, but the 24th is the day after Thanksgiving when Doctor Who's usually on. Uh, they're probably going to do some sort of marathon on the Sci-Fi cha- uh, channel, which you know, like movie marathon that they usually do, or Twilight Zone or something like that. And um, so Doctor Who won't be on that Friday after Thanksgiving. So um, we're assuming it will be on that, that following Friday, which will be December 1st, I believe. 
So we'll keep you posted on that. So that there will be a, they're breaking up that episode that that story as well, though it's a little bit more reasonable with only a two week gap between um, you know Impossible Planet and Satan Pit. Why they don't run them back to back like they did at the start of the season and like they do uh, on occasion with Battlestar Galactica is beyond me. Uh, run it as a you know as a two part thing and then take your break. Mm-hmm. Well. Uh, you know, trying to keep people hanging, I think that, you know, not the best yeah, thing. On a cable channel, I see no reason. I, I can see why the CBC wouldn't do that, but for, for, for sci-fi, I, can, I can't see any reason why they, they wouldn't be able to do something like that, because they can, they can move their schedule around a lot easier than, uh, than, the main, than a mainstream channel can. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it's all, it's, it's all going to get shown, so, oh well. We'll see what happens. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time the Sci-Fi Channel changes their schedule abruptly. And but um, as, as last I heard, there, you know, last time I checked, that was that they weren't doing that. So, but we'll see. Yeah. So um, I think that wraps it up for news, if I'm not mistaken. If anyone else has anything else to add. Well, I, I want to, I'd like to get it one more plug sure. for our event in Toronto yes, yes, in a couple you. of weeks. I actually, Just... I, I remembered earlier today, and I wanted to make a note of it in, in today's podcast, and I'm. Thankfully, you remembered. Yeah, just uh, I mentioned it a couple weeks back. We're doing uh, Hubash 2006. Uh, that's uh, Doctor Who Information Network is organizing, and it's going to be at Rowers Pub at 150 Harvard Street on November the 18th. And for all the information, you can uh, visit dwin.org. That's dwyn.org, and that has all the information. It, uh, everything I've given on the CBC is on there, and our uh, Series Two area, and and we got our blog up there, mm-hmm. and the Toronto Tavern. So it's uh, only, I mean, people are welcome to come from wherever, of course, but uh, aimed primarily at people from the Toronto area, since it's a, oh, an afternoon event uh, at the pub to celebrate the anniversary and, and uh, Series 2 and uh, the start of Torchwood. Yeah, yeah. And if you're listening to the Enhanced Podcast right now, you can just click the link in iTunes. It will bring you right there to the Dwin page you know, with this information on it. On a, on a related note, um, on the anniversary of Doctor Who, November 23rd, we're having a virtual meetup on, we're using the Second Life um, virtual environment, if you will. If you, if you go to secondlife.com, that's one word, secondlife.com, you can register for a free account. And uh, we're having a, it's, we've already explained what Second Life is, but just for those that may not know, it's a virtual environment where you're represented on screen in a three-dimensional world as an avatar. And it's just, uh, we're using this just to kind of cross the, the bridges to bring everyone, since uh, Pachak listeners are all over the world, to kind of bring everyone together in a virtual environment for a meetup. And uh, that's not to say that we won't have a real life, you know, a first life meetup as well. But uh, in, 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 you know, while we're waiting for that to happen, we can do a, a virtual meetup. And uh, we're not advocating Second Life. It just seems to be a means to an end to actually, you know, kind of do this. So you can subscribe to it and you can, you know, actually pay money for an account, but you don't have to. You can sign up for a free account and, and join us there. And uh, the only caveat is that you're assigned a, a new name. So you just have to kind of, once you are once you meet us there on December 23rd and details will be forthcoming as far as exact times and everything um, and, and what's, go, you know, where we're going to be and all that. Uh, November 23rd, right? Yes. I'm sorry, did I say December or something? Uh, you may have. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, a month late. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 for some reason, my mind's not all together today. I'm a bit scattered. 
<laughs> anyway, so um, uh, stay tuned on our website for more information. We'll be posting it there and also in future podcasts as, as the date. Well, actually, there'll probably be only one other podcast or, you know, that gets released before that date. So we'll have more information next week, hopefully. Alrighty, so we're um, actually, I think we're going to say we're going to bid farewell to Mike because he has to dash. And That's right. We'll come back for our feature segment. But Mike, I want to thank you for being a part of, uh, of the new section of this week's show, and, and your input is always valuable and welcome. Well, thanks for having me on, and I'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks, right. Mike. Take Bye. care. You're listening to Doctor Who Podshock. This is Colin Baker. Who are you? Torchwood. You catch aliens for a living? Yes, we do. This contact with an alien not quite what I expected. I figured maybe you were after something more exciting. It's a bit of a challenge. Have you poisoned me? Nice knowing you, Gwen Cooper. Help me, please. Torchwood. Coming soon to BBC Three. back with Doctor Who Podshock and um, just down to um, the core here, myself and Ken Deep. Mm, it's all the American blokes. <laughs> I have to go through the planet's core. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, boss Nass. <laughs> A little sprinkling sci-fi here and there. Alright. So this is um, November, and it's the Doctor Who anniversary month. November 23rd is yes. the big 4-3 for Doctor Who. And, uh, and we've been celebrating all month. We have been celebrating. That's why I'm off my rocker today, because I've been doing too much celebrating. And it's a 50% <laughs> off sale. Everything is 50% <laughs> Everything off. Everything must go. Everything must go. <laughs> so to that end, we've been digging into our archives and um, sharing these um, classic trinkets and treasures with you. Well, so. And we've been digging into everybody else's archives, too. That, well, that, too. And, uh, you know. <laughs> so last time we brought you, we had the pleasure of bringing you uh, a interview that we did with John Pertwee dating back to April 1986. And um, now we're going to go back to 1987. For in fact, it was um, March twenty seventh, nineteen eighty seven, for an interview that we did with Colin Baker once again on the Destiny's Radio series, and that's um, this is a special thanks to Dr. Howard McGolan, who uh, who's the host and producer of the series of and Destinies. has been for many many years. Yes. He's and a staple at Icon in Sto- SUNY Stony Brook. He's a staple. He's a paperclip. He's um, a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, a great guy and extremely generous yes. to, to allow us to. I mean, he really went through a lot to dig out some of these old tapes, and we really do appreciate it. And, you know, if you ever get a chance to go to Icon here uh, at SUNY Stony Brook on Long Island, yeah, you uh, can. Just a, 
and you can listen to uh, its um, destinies on Friday nights at 11.30 p.m. on WUSB 90.1 FM. FM in the uh, New York, Long Island area, that is. Mm-hmm. Unless you have a really powerful antenna. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so check it out. And uh, once again, um, on this, um, just like last time, uh, we reassembled the same cast of characters that are, that are included in this interview. Uh, hosting is Howard McGolan for Destinies, uh, along with Ralph Schiano, who's, um, the chair, who was the former chairperson of ICON, at, you know, who was the current one at the time of this broadcast, that is. And um, representing the Gallifreyan Embassy is our former chancellor, the Anti-Doctor. And um, as Ken said, we were there, but we just had... <laughs> we were quiet. We were quiet. It, it, you, you could tell things have changed because now I am no longer the quiet one. Well, it's as I said last time, we kind of um, rotated the interviewing, um, you know, so that... Well, that's true. If you remember when we did that pledge drive on um, the Connecticut uh, PBS stations, it was me who, uh, who did the interviewing. Yes, and and the, and the Paul Darrow interview. That was oh, you. please, that's that. And, please, let's not bring <laughs> that up. I got eaten alive by Paul Darrow. <laughs> he saw a, a, a novice, inexperienced interviewer coming, and he chewed me up and spit me out. <laughs> it it amused him <laughs> to no end. I'm sure. I'm sure on the flight back to to the UK, he was like, and this one interviewer I had. And one of these days, I'm going to get Ken drunk enough, and he's going to agree to allow me to um, put it on Podshock. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I have that. I have a very strict clause in my Podshock contract. <laughs> but I'm. I really, really am very anxious to re-interview Paul Darrow to make up for that. I, if I ever get a chance to interview him again, I will allow the first one to air, just so that you can compare and contrast. So. I don't know. When you're not paying attention, I'm going to insert it in. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right. So well, anyway, let's, let's take a listen to this from the Colin Destiny's Baker, radio broadcast. Colin 1987. Baker. 1987. Open the pod, de- pod, bay, bo- pod, pod bay door. Oh, Please, Howard. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to a very special edition of Destinies, the voice of science fiction. I'm Howard Margolin. And I'm Ralph Schiano. And tonight we're broadcasting live as Icon 6 gets underway. And joining us is Icon special guest Colin Baker, the sixth Doctor Who. Also joining us is the anti-doctor of the Gallifreyan Embassy. And before we get started with the interview, Ralph, as Icon chairman, how about plugging the con? Well, this weekend, this Saturday and Sunday, you can meet Colin Baker, the Sixth Doctor, as well as Mark Leonard, Sarek from Star Trek, David Gerald, the story editor for the new Star Trek series that will be appearing this fall, and uh, writer guest of honor, David Brin, and a whole bunch of other people. We have 17 films going in two film rooms, two video rooms, all sorts of stuff's going to be happening all hours of the day and night. So be there. I'll beam your ass to Pluto. Right on. Okay. <laughs> Colin, I don't know if this is exactly what you wanted to start with, but we might as well start with the hottest topic 
concerning you nowadays, and that's the circumstances behind your dismissal as the doctor. Would you like to talk about that? Yes, I'd like to talk about that. Feel free. I do. Go right ahead. Oh, you want me to talk about yes. it? Yes. Oh, okay, I'll talk about it. That was a very impressive beginning to the program. I saw these two guys sitting opposite me doing this really hot stuff. I'm terribly impressed. I wanted to say at the end of it, and I'm Colin Baker. Because I felt it needed something really dynamic. <laughs> Instead, you're going to get me talking. What happened? Okay, what happened was that I started playing the Doctor in 1983. Right at the end of 83, I did a season of 26 episodes. During that time, the BBC acquired a new controller of programmes for BBC One, a man called Michael Grade, whose name is now etched on the brains of all those who watch and love Doctor Who. One of his first actions was to cancel an enormous amount of programmes, one of which was Doctor Who. There was a predictable, to everybody except Michael Grade, furore. The national press in Britain had headlines, front page banner headlines, Doctor Who axed. There was a certain amount of embarrassment at the BBC. Long story short, it was brought back the following year on the basis that, oh yes, we cancelled it because reasons were suddenly produced, because it's too violent and it's not humorous enough. So, yes, we're going to bring it back and make it much more unviolent and humorful, if either of those two words exist. So, we who were making the programme waited to hear from the aforesaid Michael Grade quite what he wanted. And three months after this pronouncement, the producer of the show, John Nathan-Turner, managed to get five minutes of his time. And he said, yes, yes, it's too violent and it's not funny enough. Make it funnier and less violent. And that was all. And the public pronouncements which were about, oh, we're going to keep a close eye on this program and make sure that it goes on for another 25 years, were, I'm afraid, those kind of things that people in that position say, because we had no contact whatsoever. The programme was off for a year, as I say, it was brought back, reduced by half. It was down to 14 half-hour episodes. Now, when the programme started years ago, it was 40 half-hour episodes a year, then it went down to 26, and now it's down to 14. The series was called Trial of a Time Lord. We who made it, i.e. the producer, the directors, the writers, all the actors involved were very pleased with it. Unfortunately, it was scheduled to go out on Saturday evening, which is its traditional time, but instead of going out uh, at the beginning of the year when it's dark at 5.45, it went out in early September when it was still light at 5.45, which meant that we lost half our audience because, you know, kids are still out, daylight hours. Opposite the A-Team, which is, as you know, a very glossy programme with an awful lot of violence in it, and in my opinion, dishonest violence, because it portrays violence as something which has no end result, i.e. no blood, death, pain or destruction. So it, it was a very difficult programme to compete with. Following a programme called Roland Rat, which was a Michael-grade brainchild, which was an animated puppet <laughs> who was rude to everybody. I mean, I find it quite funny, actually, but only two million other people did. Um, so we picked up a kind of three million on top of those two, which we were quite pleased at. But the viewing figures were five million. Michael-grade said those viewing figures weren't good enough, the programme was slipping into decline, and something would have to be done. And what more public thing could he do than sack the actor playing the Doctor? So he did. He said that they were going to replace the Doctor and do lots of other exciting things for the show. Quite what those are, nobody seems to know. The producer, John Nathan-Turner, who's produced the show for seven years, and said that he wanted to leave the show because he felt he contributed all he could contribute and wanted to go and do something else, was told he had to stay, whether he wanted to or not. So you've got a producer who doesn't want to produce it. He got rid of the actor who wanted to do it. Doesn't look to me as if the aforesaid Michael Grade has a great 
desire to see the program continue into the 21st century to me. Does that answer your question? Oh, I think it answers Is the that question. the end of the program? Have I been talking for half an hour? <laughs> Ralph, do you have well, a question? Yeah. Well, I'll get in trouble with what I say, but why not? To tell you the truth, there are a number of people that feel, including me, that John Nathan Turner really stayed too long. I think one of the secrets of the show was that it changed producers every few years, and the new producer brought in some fresh ideas. How do you feel about that? Well, I think a lot of people would probably agree with you, including John Nathan Turner. Uh, I must say in his defense, two years ago, he started to want to leave. I mean, he had seen the last year of Tom. He, I think he did Tom's last year. He did the whole of Peter. He then engineered the changeover to me. And then suddenly there was the hiatus. And he was sitting around like the rest of us twiddling our fingers. It's very difficult for someone to leave in a bad time. You don't want to leave when it's bad, you want to leave when it's good. Hand over something good to the next person. So what he wanted to do was, after the hiatus, do a really good season, Trial of a Time Lord, and then hand it over with a current successful doctor, a current successful program, to another producer who could pick up a flaming torch rather than a sputtering one. And he was in a very difficult position. He himself felt exactly as you do, that there is a, a limited input you can give into anything creatively. As we now learn, there's going to be a new script editor, which is a good thing, because it's somebody with new ideas. But, yeah, that may well be true, and I think everyone connected with the show will probably agree with you. Colin, I'm sure the fan reaction to your untimely departure has been tremendous. How do you feel about your popularity after being associated with the show for such a short period? It's one of the things that's actually heartened me. My first reaction was one of kind of stunned disbelief because as an actor there are very few times in a, in a career when you're doing a job and you actually think, hey, I'm actually doing this quite well. Nine jobs out of ten, if you get sacked, you think, oh, I probably deserve it, I'm not very good because acting, there's no absolute in acting. It's not like building a car, you know, where the car either works or it doesn't. I mean, acting is very much a matter of some other people's opinion. It's the only arbiter of how good you're doing your job. And it's very rare you can get any kind of objective view of your own work. But I did actually feel that the work that I was doing in the program was, you know, slightly more than acceptable. Uh, I felt quite proud of what we were doing. We worked extremely well as a team. Um, I got on well with all the directors and all the, the guest stars, and we'd had a really good time, and we'd kind of worked very hard at the scripts. And we were very pleased by the feedback we were getting. So it was quite hurtful to be treated in what I thought was a very cavalier fashion. I mean, I, I, I actually wrote to Michael Gray uh, a long letter explaining why I thought I was being uh, used as a scapegoat, uh, a, a kind of public scapegoat for faults which were not of my own making. And I got the kind of stereotyped anodyne letter back saying thank you very much for all you've done but we feel etc dot 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 uh the one thing that has softened the blow has been the deluge of correspondence i've received i've had to resort for the first time ever to a, a kind of form letter saying you know thank you for your letter i'm sorry to have to send you this um, pre-written letter but i've had so many letters from you that i have to uh and people have been extremely generous. Yeah, maybe uh, my popularity will grow because of <laughs> because of the untimely departure, disproportionately to any merit I might have. I, I hope that's not the case. But uh, if anybody's listening who's written me a letter and hasn't had a reply, you'll get one eventually. But at the moment, I've got a, 
a box the size of a rubbish bin un under my desk, with, with, which must have at the moment a couple of thousand letters in waiting for reply. I've had two sacks delivered by the post office. Um, I'm heartened and moved, and an awful lot of you enclose letters that you've written to Michael Grade, uh, and I find them quite entertaining to read. All I would suggest is that if you intend to write to Michael Grade, avoid the mistake that some of them make that start off saying, you, and then a string of abuse. Because actually I suspect he won't read beyond those few words. Get your reasoned arguments in first and then end off with the abuse. <laughs> <laughs> During the hiatus, you were openly critical of Michael Grade. There are some people claiming that that had something to do with them getting rid of you. You think that's true? Well, I hate to contradict a man of your obvious knowledge and wisdom, but the one thing I scrupulously avoided doing during the hiatus was saying anything that could be remotely construed as criticism. The, this story that I was openly critical of Michael Grave was one that was in the, the press in Britain, but actually was totally untrue. Whenever I was asked any question about the hiatus, I said, I mean, things which obviously I didn't mean at the time, like, uh, well, he's, he's a very powerful man who obviously has his reasons for doing these things and who am I as a petty mortal uh, dodging around his toes to even guess at those mysterious reasons. I was diplomatic because at that point I thought I had a continuing job. Now I've got nothing to lose, I'll say the truth and i say I think it was a diabolical decision. You hear it all on this station, folks. <laughs> the undiluted truth. It's true, Ralph. Don't you remember the last time you interviewed Colin back in October of 85? He was making a Nice point, deliberately not to say anything bad about Michael well, Grade. Sort of walked around it, but implied a lot of things. Well, uh, the implication must be drawn by yourself, and it was certainly not intended by me. <laughs> Colin, I believe that they asked you to do a regeneration sequence. Yeah. Come back, and you refused. Is there anything stopping them from, say, taking stock footage of your picture or your face and playing with it, throwing a little lighting effects on it and regenerating it into your successor. It's an interesting point. I think it could be tricky for, I, I know that they're not going to do that because I know that John Nathan Turner would, would, uh, w wouldn't do it. I mean, he said to me, don't worry, we won't uh, do that because, I mean, he, he wanted me to carry on playing the part. I mean, and, well, I mean, we have become friends over the period of, uh, during which I've been involved with the show and he, he made it quite clear to me that he, he wouldn't do that kind of thing too, but I guess that, that they could find a way around it if they wanted to. Uh, something else, I don't know, this might be touchy ground. Uh, <laughs> word is that they actually removed you from the BBC Lionheart tour after uh, you turned them down for the regeneration sequence. Is that true? Uh, there is a, a trailer going around, a BBC trailer, um, which is associated with Lionheart, and in fact, Lionheart did ask me to do the first uh, conventions of their tour, which were to be in New Orleans, their opening um, big blast. And they had pursued me for some time to try and get me to say I'd do it. I wasn't quite sure whether I, I was going to be free at the time. And I received a phone call one weekend saying, look, you must let us know by Monday. We need to know whether you can do it or not. And on the Monday I said, yes, OK, I will. And we discussed terms and it was all arranged. And then about three weeks later I got a phone call saying, oh, we don't need you after all. And I said, but we've agreed it. It's all done, you know, bar signing on the dotted line. And I gather that pressure had been put on, yes, from the BBC to say uh, it might be a touch embarrassing if uh, Colin Baker is around when all these bigwigs are there. So I I'm not particularly fond of them at the moment. Since you're no longer working on the, sh on the show of Doctor Who, 
What are you presently working on? Anything new? I'm working on this interview in uh, in Long Island at the moment, which is <laughs> perhaps the most difficult piece of work I've ever undertaken. No, I, I have taken a, a break from rehearsals for a play called Corpse by Gerald Moon, which was on in the in the uh, in, on Broadway about a year or two years ago with Keith Baxter in it and Marlo O'Shea. It's uh, it's basically a two-hander along the, the the sleuth kind of lines. Uh, it's quite a clever play. The character that I play is. Um, are twin brothers, uh, one of whom is trying to murder the other. Um, as you can imagine, um, I'm on stage the entire time, and when I'm not on stage, I'm doing rapid, quick changes before coming back as my own brother. It's, uh, it's a very tricky play, and I've been rehearsing for two weeks, and uh, whilst I'm attending this wonderful convention, I've uh, started off this evening at Ar Icon. We've had a great evening tonight. There's been uh, thousands of people here. It's been splendid uh, first evening. I'm looking forward to meeting lots more people tomorrow. Uh, in between all the activities uh, here at Stony Brook, I shall be uh, trying to learn the lines so that when I get off the plane on Monday and jump in my car and drive to rehearsals in Bromley in London, I shall know some of the lines, because we open a week on Wednesday. Hmm. One thing you did during the hiatus of Doctor Who was a Doctor Who radio adventure. Could you tell us about that? Because we're always looking for new science fiction radio to run on the show. And yeah, basically that was just, uh, it was an idea that, uh, for a, a children's program, uh, during holiday time, uh, on Radio 4, which is traditionally the kind of serious radio channel of the BBC. And that they had a kind of, uh, magazine program where they had bits of all sorts of things, and they, they had the idea of, it, of having a daily Doctor Who ten-minute, uh, episode story so that each day there'd be a 10 minute episode and at the end of the week that'd be a whole story that was the idea it was an experiment uh, eric saywood who's recently left as script editor on the show wrote it it was called slip back it was um i don't think he'd mind me saying so i think it was very much uh in the douglas adams mold because uh, eric was very strongly influenced by douglas adams and uh, it had certain elements of it which were directly comparable with moments in Hitchhiker, I think. Uh, but it, but it, it was it was very good. The sets were brilliant, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I'd lost so much weight as well. I mean, it was amazing. Everyone said, "My God, Doctor, you're so thin." But I mean, they, they had some some wonderful things you can't have in a Doctor Who story, um, like you know the the captain of the spaceship it takes place on is you know ninety three feet high. Uh, that's pretty tricky to do, you know, at the BBC. <laughs> Um, on television, anyway. But it, it worked extremely well. Uh, but it was an exper a one-off experiment, and it hasn't been repeated. But it, it exists on tape. It's not it's not uh, commercially available. But uh, there are hundreds of fans who've recorded it. I'm sure who can uh, <laughs> let, let you have a little private listen to their privately no, recorded tape. Not to put you on the spot, but do you think you could get a copy for us? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not. Okay, I'll see you afterwards. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, going back in time, I know John Pertwee got his start in radio. How did you get into the biz? How did I get into the biz? Um, I started at school. Uh, I was, I, I went to an all-boys, uh, Catholic school in the north of England in Manchester. And the only concession we had to any kind of, uh, artistic activity was once a year we did a Gilbert and Sullivan opera. And all boys. So that meant that the 11 and 12 and 13 year olds whose voices hadn't broken had to play the girls parts it's all very suspect really if you think about it <laughs> and at the age of 12 i played phyllis in ireland and rose maybud in ruddy which are the soprano leads in those two 
musicals. And I got the review, the, my first ever review, I still have it, my mother found it the other day in an old school magazine. It said, Colin Baker threw himself with great verve into the part of Phyllis and rarely strayed more than half an octave from the note. And at the time I thought, hey, that's great, I only, <laughs> I didn't stray more than half an octave from the note. I didn't realise till you, when I read it years later, that there was an implied criticism in that about my singing. Uh, yes, the acting, uh, I, I enjoyed and, uh, uh, found it was something that kind of released me. I was a shy boy. But weren't we all when we were twelve? But, but acting I enjoyed. Uh, and that kind of set me on the path. I did one of those every year at school. And then when I left school and studied law because, uh, when I suggested to my father that maybe I might like to be an actor, that was very swiftly disposed of, and I was packed off to law school. So I did law for five years. During that time, I spent a lot of time doing amateur drama, because there's a very strong tradition of amateur dramatics in, in England. Um, at the end of five years of studying law, I decided that, really, I didn't like the idea of spending my life doing something which might certainly earn me a lot of money, but would give me very little personal satisfaction. So I decided to audition for drama schools. And I was lucky enough to get in and did my three years at drama school. And at the age of 26, which is quite late really, started acting. And I was quite lucky to get a few breaks quite quickly. Tomorrow night here at Icon, you'll be doing the cabaret show. How'd you get into being a cabaret performer? Oh my God, yes. Um, by being forced to do it at these conventions. <laughs> um, I have no pretensions whatsoever and never have had to be a, a cabaret performer. Um, but. Uh, they, they have become somewhat de rigueur on, uh, in attending these events and I do point out to everybody who might come and see the cabaret that uh, if they're expecting to see a John Pertwee uh, then please uh, disabuse yourself of that misconception. John Pertwee is a, is a brilliant entertainer who's been doing cabaret style entertainment for many many years. I mean he's, his tradition started off way back in in oh, the Roman times, I think, doing, <laughs> doing, doing vaudeville and uh, circus. And he's a very talented all-round entertainer. So if any of you came to Icon last year and saw John Pertwee doing his wonderful act with the chair with no seat in it and, <laughs> and playing his guitar and singing his songs, please don't expect me to do that. I shall give you an evening of culture, wit and charm, maybe, but not my charm, other people's charm. A poem here, a word or two there. But I do it in humility not in any sense saying I'm a great cabaret entertainer. Well, we've seen Colin on stage. You're going to want to be there. And there are a couple of other special events. We also have a dinner with the stars tomorrow night. And we have uh, a Meet the Pros party where all of our guests, including our writers, will be in attendance late tomorrow night. And just to remind people, uh, most of these events are at the Jacob Javits Lecture Center on the campus of the State University of New York at Stony Brook. Colin Eats, too. That's amazing. Colin Eats. Do you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dinner with the Stars, I would guess you'd have to. Just to... Even if you don't, I guess you'd have to put on a good show. Yes, I, I, I've... Over the years, I have grown to love eating. It's, it's my hobby, I think. I'm very fond of it. Anti-Doctor, would you like to... Why are you called Anti-Doctor? Can I interview you for a moment? Why are you called Anti-Doctor? Well... Is there an Uncle Doctor? Well, being part of the Gallifreyan Embassy, I wanted to create an evil side of the Doctor. And so we decided to make a parallel universe, which was anti-matter, where everything was opposite. And I became the anti-doctor, and I've known as that in order to not 
impose on the doctor's fame and create my own legacy. Well, my, my limited knowledge, knowledge of science tells me that antimatter and matter cannot exist in the same space at the same time. And well, we have in this room an, an anti-doctor and a doctor. How do you explain that phenomenon? Well, Just don't touch each other. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're not identical. That I can promise. We're not identical particles, first off. Identical particles, if they meet, would really cause a catastrophe. He's thought it out, folks. I'm and very impressed. basically, in my specter, I do have a device that protects me and my three companions in this positive matter universe, although... I'm sorry I asked, sir. It did I am damage really sorry me as my first regeneration. <laughs> he never tells anyone his real name. I think he's wanted by the law in a few different states. I don't know. A few different planets. But, um, that brings up another interesting thing. How did you feel about what they did in, in the, the final episode by re revealing that... Uh, you know, you're not going to tell... You're not going to oh. tell the listeners the final episode, are you? Here I am on, on a show that purports to be talking to science fiction fans, and you're going to tell a lot of people who haven't seen it what happens in the final episode. I feel it's very interesting, but I'm not going to tell you what it is, and neither are you. <laughs> Oops. The idea of a network wanting to kill a show, especially a science fiction show, is very common in America. Uh, Star Trek is the perfect example do you, you think the BBC is going along the same routes trying to kill Doctor Who by changing the time slot, changing the actors, change, decreasing the no. stories that the fans have come to? To be perfectly honest, I don't. I, I think you have to distinguish between the two countries and also uh, the, the, the difference in attitude towards programming in the two countries. Um, American TV making and programming is based very much on whether advertisers will pay to advertise during that program and if they don't want to pay then the program goes uh, and people very rarely in this country i.e. America kill off a goose that lays golden eggs now that is not true in Britain the BBC is a non-profit making organization so the fact that Doctor Who earns more in a year than it costs to make and that is a fact each year the revenue from Doctor Who is greater than the cost of making it but that fact astonishingly it does not influence the program makers because the money that the program earns does not go back to the program making department of the BBC it goes into the general BBC coffers and there it gets spread out into every single department you know from uh, cable maintenance to buying new cameras and all that sort of thing it does not go back to the department of series and serials which is the department that makes it therefore they have no incentive to make the program whereas in any true market situation where the rewards for success go back to the individual that creates that success, then there would be a great incentive to keep it. But Michael Grade says he is making programs for BBC One uh, British television. The fact that it's sold elsewhere is totally irrelevant to him, he says, and he has a budget each year with which to make X hours of programming. And Doctor Who's been on for 25 years, and if, if there's something comes along that he wants money for, he will cancel Doctor Who and... and put on his pet project. And that's the difference between the two countries. I don't think there's any corporate intention to kill Doctor Who at all. But w what I think is worse is it'll vanish from apathy. Because there's nobody there who actually cares about Doctor Who enough to say, hey, this is a tradition. And this is also very good for us. We must keep it. When I was over here last year, um, before uh, I had sort of words with Lionheart, they were, and when they thought I was going to be playing the Doctor again, they were begging me to go back to London and go to people like Michael Gray, I mean, under the mistaken impression that a British actor has any say whatsoever in programme making, to go back to them and say, we need more. Because Doctor Who 
in PBS is the key that unlocks many markets. Because the the, the, the pledge situation on PBS is so strong, and because the, the Doctor Who viewers are so keen to have their program, they will pledge a lot of money. It's, it's like they're one of their greatest pledges, apart from um, the wildlife programs. Um, because of the strength of Doctor Who, the people selling programs can say, OK, here's your 100 episodes of Doctor Who. Now, can we interest you in this piece of drama, that piece of drama? It's the door that opens markets. And they need more of Doctor Who in order to be able to expand that market. And they're not getting it. I mean, any other business that was running that way would... Can you imagine General Motors being run that way? It's ludicrous. You know, at the same time, in the last year, they've almost tripled the cost of the show over here, so we must have some economic incentives. I don't, I don't know about that side of it. Yeah. Because the PBS stations are complaining the way Lionheart is raising the price. Uh, I'm afraid that in the long run they might be hurting their own market by raising it to the point where they'll, they'll bring it out of reach. Well, that might be connected stations. with the fact that uh, Lionheart has recently been taken over by the BBC. It, Lionheart is now a wholly owned subsidiary of the BBC. It is a shame because the BBC used to uh, set such standards worldwide for excellence and quality of programming and... And it, it, and it had a kind of, it had the aura of a gentleman about it, or, I mean, it, it used to be called Auntie. That was its nickname in England, Auntie BBC. And it was like that. It, it, working for the BBC was like working for a big family. When Bill Cotton was controller of programmes, he was always down on the studio floor, and you'd, he'd say, hello, Colin, you'd say hello, Bill, to him. I've never seen Michael Gray anywhere near a studio. I mean, he's the new kind of Thatcherite corporate man, uh, looking at balance sheets and viewing figures, and... It's not what the BBC is about. It's become a kind of impersonal place. When I first started working there 20 years ago, it was, it was a great place to work. No, it's not now. Okay, one thing that I'm sure you've been asked before, but I think our listeners would probably want to know, is if this series does last and they do a 25th anniversary, six or seven doctors or however many it's going to be by that point, would you come back and do it? Well, that's next year we're talking about. That's right. 1988 is the 25th anniversary. I was quite looking forward to doing that myself. Uh, I suspect I probably wouldn't. Um, because, I mean, one, much as I would like to for the fans, A, it would be a painful process for me. Um, because, uh, unlike Peter, who did his three years, which is what he always intended to do, and then left to do other things, and therefore, without any kind of emotional hook, can say yes or no to coming back. I, I did make the mistake of getting really involved in the show. I, I did feel a commitment to it, and I feel that commitment's been betrayed. And I, I would find it fairly painful to come back so soon. Maybe in five years' time I might feel differently, but at the moment I, I, I wouldn't want to be part of it again. Ralph, anti-doctor, we have to... Well, we're being urged to hurry up inside. No. No, we're not. Oh, we can continue. Thank you. Anti-Doctor, Ralph, do you have any questions for Colin? Well, here in America, you, we were talking about the BBC. We don't un exactly understand how the BBC is run. <laughs> how, no, but like, how did no, Michael um, Gray become the controller of programming? How long does he stay? Is it an elected position? Does he have to be re-voted in? Or does he stay in until as long as he wants and then just leaves? How does that work? Because if someone's so against this show, but we might get someone new who would support the show more. You know, how does that work over there in the BBC? Right, the BBC is uh, it's a strange kind of 
anomaly, really. It's, uh, it's not owned by anybody. It's not owned by the government. It's, there's a board of governors, which is appointed kind of indirectly by the government, but not politically. They're not political appointments. They are people who have reached eminent positions in British society, either in uh, communications or in uh, at universities or in medicine. Or I mean, there's about two or three dozen governors who uh, meet every month and the director general, who is the big boss of the BBC, reports to them. Below the director general is the assistant director general. There is the managing director of television, which is now Bill Cotton. There is the controller of BBC One, who is Michael Gray, and the controller of BBC Two, who is somebody else. Uh, and, and so it kind of fans out all the way down. Um, and each person is appointed by the person above, basically. So Bill Cotton appointed Michael Grade. Um, recently, the Director General, a marvellous man, Alistair Burnett, who was... Um, Alistair Milne, sorry. Alistair Milne, who was uh, the last of the old-style BBC Director Generals, was uh, removed from office in a kind of BBC purging when... Uh, the BBC's had a lot of problems lately, uh, mainly with the Conservative government, and somebody had to be seen to go. I mean, much in the same way as I had to be seen as a sacrifice for Doctor Who, Alistair Milne had to go as a sacrifice for the BBC. There were a lot of applicants for the job of Director General, including Michael Grade himself, uh, who is, in television terms, a young man, but a very ambitious man. Uh, he didn't get the job, but he's still there as controller of BBC One. In fact, he's now... He's, it's being rumoured he's going to be controller of BBC One and Two. Um, the only way he's going to leave the BBC is uh, if um, ABC or NBC say, come over here and run... I mean, there's no bigger job for him in British television. He's already been over in America when he uh, worked for a film company over here. He was responsible for the Cain and Abel miniseries. I don't know which company that was. But uh, um, he... I gather he was sacked. He said without a trace of... Uh, Malicious glee. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about uh, how some shows seem to get over and some don't. I'm very curious about the brothers. We've never seen one bit of it over here. Probably there are some bootleg tapes, but why don't you tell us something about that? Well, the brothers was the was the um, the first series that really brought me into the the kind of in a major way to the public consciousness. I mean, I'd done a lot of. Uh, kind of fairly serious stuff on uh, British television before. I, I was in War and Peace, uh, of which you may have heard. Uh, a series called uh, Cousin Bet by Balzac. Um, another one, Roads to Freedom by Jean-Paul Sartre. I mean, I was in all the kind of classic series, what you call masterpiece theatre over here, that sort of stuff. And then the, the production manager on War and Peace had become a producer and was producing a series called The Brothers, which was, if you like, the British version of Dallas, but anti-dated Dallas. Uh, I'm not saying it was a big glossy thing about oil men, but it's, it was the, the, the kind of family saga which gripped Britain from 1971 to 1976. It was shown every Sunday evening at 7.30, and churches uh, were complaining because their services, if they started at 6.30 and went on longer than 7.15, the congregation left because they watched <laughs> the brothers. <laughs> I mean, it was a it was a massively popular series in England and in, in, in quite a lot of other countries in Europe as well. I remember going on a trip to Israel because uh, it was shown over there, and uh, speaking to 
um, the then foreign minister on the telephone, um, Moshe Dayan, who uh, said that if uh, the Arabs had attacked on a Wednesday night at 7.30 instead of attacking at Passover when they did. Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, I beg your pardon. Uh, they might have had more of a chance because everybody was watching the brothers at 7.30 <laughs> on a Wednesday <laughs> evening. Uh, which was an extraordinary <laughs> statement to make. Um, I mean, it really did uh, grip uh, Scandinavia, Sweden, Holland. They were, they were all brothers addicts. And it was, uh, I mean, it was certainly not uh, upmarket like Dallas. It was about a, a family of three brothers who inherited a trucking business. And the three brothers, uh, one had a, one was young and flash and drove fast cars, the middle one was uh, nice and gentle but had a bitch for a wife, and the older one was a kind of blustering ditherer who thought he knew everything but didn't. And the series went on for a couple of years when they imported this character, who was a merchant banker, uh, to be chairman of this company, to bring the company together and to bring the money in. And that was played by me. And he, he was J.R., basically, to, to put it in a, a kind of shorthand. Uh, except I think it was a more interesting character than J.R., because whereas J.R. is just, I mean, openly evil, and nobody would believe a, a blind word he ever said. I mean, that's the flaw in the programme. The fact that anybody does business with J.R. is ludicrous in Dallas. But the thing about Paul Manning was he was clever, because, he, A, he didn't do bad things for the sake of it, and he never broke the law but he manipulated people very cleverly and he manipulated the business to make money not for himself but for the company he was totally single-minded about that and i was voted in 1975 the most hated man in britain and the character i played was <laughs> and it was uh, and that's another example of the bbc we were regularly attracting 13 to 15 million viewers which is a lot in britain i mean that's the highest you ever get is kind of 20 million for a royal wedding that kind of thing so we were getting that regularly, and 1976, Christmas 76, we recorded our final episode of that season. And they all said, OK, see you next year, and we never heard another word. It just kind of drifted away. The producer left and did another job, and somebody else who was involved with the show got another job. And nobody at the BBC actually said, hey, we've got this programme, we've got to get a new producer for it. It just kind of drifted away. And there are still people in Britain who say, bring back the brothers, and it's ten years ago that it finished. The reason it's not shown over here is, I suspect, because it's too parochial, it's too specifically British. And there, there aren't that many uh, contemporary British series which have worked over here in any kind of big way. Well, now that you've had a chance to work in the science fiction genre, would you like to do more work in that now that your work on Doctor Who is over? I enjoy science fiction enormously. I mean, I did my two and a half years in Doctor Who. I, I appeared in one episode of Blake Seven. Uh, I, I read science fiction quite uh, avidly myself. Um, one of the things I'm delighted about at uh, this uh, marvellous convention we have here at Stony Brook this weekend is I'm going to meet David Brin, whose book The Postman is one of the best books I've read in the last few years. I mean, it's, it's one of those books that transcends genre. Um, you know what I mean? There are good science fiction books and there are good romantic fiction books, and there are, but there are some books that are good, whatever you call them, and The Postman is one of those ones which is kind of, you know, transcends the genre. I, I think it's a lovely book. So, yeah, somehow I got away from your question there. Yes, I would be very happy to appear as Luke Skywalker's grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've made your start by appearing on The Voice of Science Fiction. Hey, twice. have I made it now? <laughs> oh, there's only three science fiction radio shows in America, and this is one of them. So. Does anyone come back a third time? Yes, a few people have. Who? Who? Our Doctor Who expert, John Peel, has been on a number of times. Right. Howard Weinstein, the Star Trek and V author, has been on a number of times. 
Well, I hope you'll invite me back again sometime then. Anytime you'd like. I've enjoyed You're talking available. to you. Start up Colin's theme now. Yeah. And thank you, Colin. For this is live radio, you can tell, can't you? Yes. <laughs> it's usually a lot more professional. Anyway, we're just about out of time for tonight. Go to Icon tomorrow. Yes, the Icon 6 excitement is just beginning. There are two more days of this year's convention to go to, filled with all sorts of fascinating events. And next week, the voice of science fiction will be live again for our annual Icon retrospective call-in. Yes, we're giving it another chance. And you'll be able to offer your comments about Icon 6 by calling us at 516-632-6901. That's 632-6901. In case this is the first time you... 6904? 632... Oops, whatever. <laughs> if that's not the right number, you'll get tune in next week, you'll hear the correct number. We'll figure it out. It's changed since last year. Anyway, until then. This is Hang Radio, folks. Remember that Destinies is produced by members of the Sloney Brook Science Fiction Forum, and in tonight's case, also the Gallifreyan Embassy, in association with WUSB. If you see us at ICON, feel free to come up and say hello. Thanks to Colin Baker for being with us tonight. Thanks to Chris Crowley for engineering this broadcast. Thank you to Lois Sheck for giving us a little extra time. Next Friday at 11.30 p.m., the annual one-hour ICON call-in retrospective. Until then, this is Howard Margolin. And I'm Ralph Schiano. Be at ICON tomorrow. And I am the Antidoctor. Thank you, Colin. And we're wishing all of you the best of all possible destinies. Wow, a gem from 1987 from Icon. What would that have been? Six. Well, it's it's interesting because it's this is right when Colin Baker, you know, was said, you know, was gotten got the boot from uh, Michael Grade, and it was a bit of a turmoil in in mm. Doctor Who fandom at that time. Well, if you going way back to the chronology of this, Colin Baker was booked for that icon one year prior. So they actually had flyers for Colin Baker coming up to next year's icon. I, I think at the John Pertwee icon, they were like, oh, next year we'll have Colin Baker. And, you know, Colin Baker was the current doctor, and everybody was excited that mm -hmm. he was coming. But little did they realize, timing-wise, that this, his whole dismissal and the casting of Sylvester McCoy would happen within months of his appearance at icon. And then... Um, the very first convention appearance was this appearance. It was, it, it was um, fortuitous. Yeah. But it was it was a downer on two counts because it was well, only yes. because we were losing Colin Baker as the sixth doctor. But we and also then we lost Patrick Troughton Trouton. that weekend. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And another convention, we're, you know, where we lost the person himself, not not just <laughs> not just the doctor. Yeah, it was that. That was definitely a, a very rough weekend in it. It's yeah, I actually, I was uh, videotaping Colin Baker at the time. And he, Colin Baker was doing his uh, Q&A session, and uh, Ken came up to me, running behind me, you know, off camera, and to break the news to me. And it was, it's, you know, it's one of those things that you always remember exactly where you were, what you were doing at that exact moment. And, and, and I, you know, I always remember that. You know, it's unfortunate. And, and Newsday... The uh, Long Island newspaper, Newsday, uh, ran an obituary with a photo of him as the doctor. The one, uh, you, many Doctor Who fans remember, he's got his finger in his mouth. He's leaning on the TARDIS console. I can remember that, that obituary. Uh, you know, it was just nice to see that uh, he, it wasn't like a uh, classified ad-sized news yeah. report. It was actually mm -hmm. pretty, you know, pretty uh, sizable obituary for someone who, wasn't an American TV star. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, at that time, it was sort of the the golden age of Doctor Who in America, in a sense that um, it was at the height of yes. when Doctor Who was on all the PBS stations across the U.S. and uh, fandom was running wild, and you had all these specialty Doctor Who conventions, you know, taking place in the U.S. And I also want to point out that, um, to their credit, Icon at that time announced its guest one year in advance, which mm-hmm. I think um, behooves conventions to do, especially ones that do, uh, you know, that are annual like Icon. I-, I really wish they would do that again. I would. I wish. Hey, here we are in November. The convention's late March. Would yeah, like so to it's know. It's like four months away. Well, who are the guests for this year? Yeah, and they haven't announced any yet. I mean, you don't have to announce the full lineup. We know that there's a lot of last-minute people, depending on work commitments. But, but you need to have one or two anchor guests, even if they are uh, not the media guest. A few authors, perhaps, or um, just just a few things to lock in that will start attracting people to it. Or, or for that matter, from someone who's a, a broadcaster, something to promote. Okay, Let's I'm there. say, you know, hey, hey so and so is going to be here. I'm at their website right now. It's 137 days away for Icon 26, which is March 23rd through the 25th, 2007, Stony Brook, New York. And I don't know who the guests are. They, they, they well, least... and, we, and we're Lewis and I are regular attendees of Icon. We have been since the very first Icons, and um, and we're participants every, you know, now with with Podjock and and. Um, Friends of ours are are heavily involved in Icon. We just, you know, if we're being critical, it's mostly because we really want to see it be the best it can be. It, it has been the it has been the premier convention in the Northeast uh, many times in the past, and it needs to be again, and it can be. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, we're not ragging on Icon. No, absolutely. We just, you know what? We we set we hold Icon to a very high standard, and that's why I, I I put the you know if I if I come across as being critical, it's because I want the best. I want to be involved in the best convention. Yeah, that they they need to add a a one to their logo. They saw the Icon Twenty Five logo. All right. Ah. Well, <laughs> not picking on Icon, <laughs> but if you're listening, let us know um, who your guests are, and, and we'll start promoting it on on Podshock. Absolutely. All righty. So we're gonna um, come back with feedback. So um, wet your appetite, and um, we'll we'll be there to feed you some. Oh, never mind. Oh, brother, <laughs> James, we need you. <laughs> Philip K. Dick hit the madness years come over to the Starship sofa you want to find out why it took us three episodes and drove us mad then you can also check it out find out why Alfred Bester was the man who bridged the gap between the Pulp Fiction and New Wave and if you're ever interested in the top female in science fiction welcome aboard if your cup of tea is science fiction classic films we have them here Dark Star Capricorn One and all cyberpunk enthusiasts out there, John Brummer was your leader. Come over and find out all about him on the Starship Sofa. We are the Pete and Dud of the science fiction world. Welcome to the Starship Sofa. I'd just like to point out that we are not Ant and Deck, we are not Pete and Dud, we are not Derek and Clive. That's just what people have sent to us in email. <laughs> <laughs> 
www.starshipsofer.com Shuttle set for launch. Airlock will be opened in 3, 2, 1. back with Doctor Who, Podshock, Ken Deep, and Louis Trapani. The U.S. boys in the house today as uh, James is on assignment. And uh, so we're, we're to the feedback portion of the program now. Uh, we certainly we get, are. Where we answer your emails and questions and voice thingies. And yes, we got feedback. We got feedback. We... Oh, never mind. Oh, God. We need like a feedback song. <laughs> yeah, we just... <laughs> yeah, no, no, we don't. No. A jingle. No, no, that's quite all right. And that, that reminds us, of, uh, if you know, send in your Pachak promos, and uh, we'll um, offer you a gift if, for the one that we like the most. So um, You get this hearty handshake. <laughs> you, you and get... this well-deserved pat on the back. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be uh, numerated with lots of little... Um, uh, whatever. Well, you, you, we'll give you something nice. Um, yeah, buy yourself something nice with it, kid. Here <laughs> you go. Go away. That's my audition, by the way, for being in the 1930s New York Doctor Who episode <laughs> for season three. Yeah, buy yourself something nice with that, kid. Here's a quarter. <laughs> don't spend yeah. it all in one place. I wonder who's writing that episode. Now I'm dying to know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Probably someone who's never stepped foot in the United States. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it could I'm be. Kidding. I'm just being a little jealous. That's all. Letting my green with envy. Mm-hmm. Green death with envy. All right. (laughs) First up, we have uh, Derek has sent in a uh, a voicemail and should remind people how to send us feedback. Uh, Well, how do they send us feedback? Well, first, um, you can email us at um, feedback at podshock.net. And you can you can email us a regular text message, but we since this is a podcast, which is an audio format, we prefer audio feedback. So if you want to record something and send us an MP3 file or you know some other audio format file, that would be splendid. Or you can actually, if if, if you don't want to be bothered recording something on your computer, you can uh, and use any old phone and call the Podshock <laughs> Public Call Box, and that's two zero six eight eight eight. For who, and that translates to two zero six eight 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 four nine four six. And if it was nineteen thirties New York, you'd go zig 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 zig, and you'd spin that little thing, and you'd go, "Hello, operator." <laughs> yeah, please connect me to. Yeah, um, please connect me to Bensonhurst it's, it's six. Two, it's a two zero six number, so it's area code number. So um, you know, but. It's, it's a North American phone number, so just be aware of that. And I'm we, sorry, all circuits are busy. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. <laughs> but we always say, you know, if you have all these extra minutes on your mobile phone, now is an opportunity, to, this is a great opportunity to use some of them up by calling the Pachak public call box, 206-888-4WHO. <laughs> Um, alternatively, you can also leave us a voicemail using Skype or the Gizmo Project, and you can just send it to Podshock. That's our uh, account name on Skype and Gizmo. So you can send your voicemail uh, to Podshock, and we'll get it that way. 
And alternatively, um, if you have a microphone attached to your computer, it, there's if you go to our website and hit feedback, there's a button there that says audio recorder. You can actually record your feedback without any editing software whatsoever. As long as you have a microphone attached to your computer, you just click this button and it uses flash technology to record your message that way. Wow, that's swell, fella. <laughs> so you have no excuses not to send us feedback. <laughs> so, All right, so what's the first piece of feedback? Uh, first piece of feedback is a, a piece of audio feedback, and this comes from Derek, who sent in um, a piece of feedback using Skype. Hello, Podshock people. This is Derek from Los Angeles. Last time I called was to announce that uh, the DVDs for season one were on sale a week or two before they actually were supposed to be on sale. Uh, just watched the first two episodes of Torchwood and just wondering if any of you are as creeped out as I am that Captain Jack is holding on to the doctor's severed hand as a, uh, as a memento. Okay, talk to you later. Bye. Uh, Derek was asking about the doctor's severed hand in the second episode of Torchwood, which I believe is called uh, Day One, and... Actually, well, apparently, if you pickle a hand with a, and spice it up just right, it actually makes a, makes a great snack. It's finger food, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit weird. I don't think that he was hanging on to it as a memento. I took it more as that he was trying to um, perhaps Maybe. Uh, do some research or, you know, uh, there's some regenerative well, I, I, powers I guess it's kind of too late to give the, 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 the warnings of... Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. But, yeah, so... We know well if you've been if you've been watching Torchwood, you know that now Captain Jack is um, cursed with the with immortality. So perhaps he's this might be um, a clue. Well, he's the Highlander now. Yes, he's the Highlander now. So uh, this may be a, he may be seeing this hand as a thread or a clue or or something to um, somehow figure out why that is, and and this is his link to the Doctor. And, you know, he, there's a line in it somewhere, in, I think it might have been the same episode, that he needs to see a certain doctor about it. And um, so maybe this is it. Though it's never been really, you know, made clear that this is the doctor's hand. We are all assuming so, and it's pretty obvious that it is. Uh, so others people have been suggesting that perhaps, you know, he severed his own hand and it grew back and because, you know, he's in, he, you can't kill or, him. Or, or it's Luke Skywalker's hand and it fell out of Cloud City. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's always a possibility. You know, and fell to Earth somehow so <laughs> from a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So anyway, yes. it, it is sort of creepy, um, but, we, you know, uh, Torchwood is meant to be creepy. <laughs> and the I only guess, advice as I would give to Captain Jack is, remember, he who wins shall lose, you know. I mean, I guess there, there could have been other body parts, you know, saved in a jar that could have been creepier. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! We okay, go let's there. go. To, let's go to the next piece of feedback, please. Well, the the, the next piece of feedback we're going to go into our email um, um, bag. Wait, you want like sound effects? <laughs> yes. <laughs> he signed it. We're going to go how he signed it with Z or Z if you're in North America. And um, I know, because anyway, anyway, he, he, he talks about, well, I'll read you his email. <laughs> no sense in me telling you what he talks about. 
Um, but I'm sure Ken will appreciate this. I took a trip to Long Island this past weekend where I grew up. I was driving out east around 1.30 and looking for something good to listen to on the radio. Finally, finding something I could enjoy and I settled back for a nice ride on the LIE. Wouldn't you know it, it turns out to be none other than the Hair Hut and Mr. Ken Deep. I can't get away from you guys. Stop it. Stop invading my worlds. <laughs> Cheers, Zed or, or Z. <laughs> wow, that was really cool. Ken, what are you doing? You're terrorizing our listeners. They can't I get am. away. <laughs> on Saturday mornings, I'm on none other than four, no less than four stations on Long Island on, on any given Saturday. Um, so yeah, he must have stumbled across one of them, and uh, and actually, depending on the episode he was listening to, uh, on several occasions, none other than James Norton makes an appearance on the show. Uh, he usually introduces some of the British bands. I have a few spots that James mm-hmm. recorded uh, for Iron Maiden and Judas Priest, but I don't think I haven't used it in two or three weeks, so you probably missed that. But well, but speak- James. James makes an appearance, and I also will say that the bed music from my concert calendar is a remix of the, a heavy metal version of the Doctor Who theme that Lewis actually burned for me. Oh. Well, uh, speaking of which, speaking of James, I was listening to the last Rough, Ready, and Roar podcast that James does with oh, his Oh, you mean the Simon. Curse Fest. <laughs> Wait a minute. James is not here to defend himself, so... Okay. <laughs> but Ken was on, made an appearance on that as well, because they played your little promo speaking of which you said nothing but filth <laughs> oh he used my outtake reel yes <laughs> oh my god so it was nothing it was a very uh torch woodian um promo <laughs> <laughs> okay wow i'm gonna have to get that one now i'm gonna have to listen i have an outtake reel from uh when i record the hair hut um very similar to tom baker's symphony symphony uh, I have an outtake reel that my engineer has put together, uh, and, I, and I, I use a few dirty words when I get frustrated with myself, uh, and, and they proceeded to snag all this together. So that's actually on James' thing, if you want to hear me, on the non-family program. <laughs> yes, but thank you so much for the email, and, and time for me to shamelessly plug the Hair Hut or Necessary <laughs> Evil. Both of them are on... Uh, Radio X and its streams worldwide, www.radiox.fm. And there's a, sh- a live stream on there that you can listen anywhere in the world. Uh, 8 a.m. till noon, Saturday mornings, uh, United States Eastern Time is The Hair Hut. And 10 p.m. till 2 a.m., United States Eastern Time is a brand new show called Necessary Evil, which is very heavy. So those are two of the shows that are on Saturdays on Radio X. So thank you very much for tuning in. Mm hmm. Um, the next piece of feedback comes from Jeff, and Jeff writes to us, All right, I had enough of this Adric bashing. Just to prove Doctor Who offers something for everyone, I have to say that Adric is on my list of favorite companions, if not being my actual favorite. All these apparent polls that rank him as the worst are just wrong. Probably has something to do with the fact that I started watching Who regularly at the end of the Baker years, so Adric was my first companion, Adric was a person. Uh, Adric was a person more so than many of the other companions. He had his um, own mind. He did his own thing independent of the Doctor. He wasn't a screamer, and he didn't just exist to allow the Doctor to explain things to us as viewers. He made the attempt to explore the universe and solve problems with the same enthusiasm as the Doctor. 
of course he wasn't particularly bright so he um he almost always <laughs> failed but i found that more amusing than annoying and finally the fifth doctor has always been my favorite uh but just watching school reunion i think i may be changing i love tenet's doctor i like the fifth doctor for so long that i feel a little disloyal anyways keep up the good work I and I don't mind the two-hour episodes at all. <laughs> it fits my commute just fine, Jeff. All right. So, well, you'd be very pleased, Jeff. Our last podcast was an extended-length uh, podcast. <laughs> it was just over two hours, so um, that fits into um, your commute just fine. And, and I have to say that and we we've been getting a lot of emails. Once we kind of cut down the podcast down to um, eighty to ninety minutes, uh, which we have been the last you know since the beginning of August. Uh, we've got a lot of emails saying, come on, we want the two hours. So, um, we're, you know, we can't please all the people all the time. But, you know, on occasion, we'll have a two-hour episode like we did last week. And, uh, and, and also, and you know what? When you have John Pertwee as your special guest, you, you got to give it up for two hours. Sure. Absolutely. Yes. And you know what? And I, I also wanted to say that um, actually Adam has now surpassed Adric <laughs> as the worst companion of all. Well, I was never in the I hate Adric camp. You know, I I, he, I mean, he was not my my favorite companion, but he was I I, I never had any problems with Adric and uh, I understand those that may have because there's always a compulsion not to like, you know, the young know-it-alls in science fiction, uh, science fiction series or science fiction genre. Uh, oh, Wesley Crusher. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Adric was never, uh, I, he never wore on my nerves. Um, you know, I, 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 he, you know, I enjoyed him. I enjoyed him probably more so than some other companions. Um, well, I think the other thing, too, is we had, um, that was the era of having multiple companions. Hmm. Yeah, well, Doctor Who started off having multiple companions. Right, but you had, he had, um, he wasn't called upon to hold up the Doctor-Companion relationship. It was, the, the Doctor-Companion relationship was divided amongst three companions. Mm -hmm. So I don't think you ever really had the time to, uh, you know, for him to really wear. Where, let's say, when you got to Colin Baker, it was just him and Perry. I think a lot of people are very uh, critical of Perry because mm -hmm. it's strictly Perry. Yeah, and the same so thing. there was never said. anybody else to play off of. You, you had all Perry all the time. Yeah, um, and then what came after and, and, Perry wasn't... Never mind. But uh, <laughs> I, I, no offense to Bonnie Langford, but um, Melanie <laughs> wasn't one of my favorites either. That's true. Mel, you know, if, uh, if I had to choose between Adric and Melanie, I would probably take Adric. You know, as a matter of fact, I'd say definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I, I, you know, it seems like Adric's just an easy person to kind of pick on in Doctor Who fandom. You know, it, it's sort of like, you know, the, the punching He's the Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, he's the Jar Jar Binks of, of Doctor Who. Because um, yeah. I think people pick on Jar Jar for no other reason than that you just need to be, oh, well, he has an, you know, he's annoying. Eh, whatever. You know, yeah. whatever. Well, Is that, that really that, a big deal? In, in that case, yeah, that was, that was the point. I think that we're, he, was, he, he was banished from his own people, but <laughs> we're straying away from Doctor Who. But, but me to do nothing. Oh, boy. <laughs> But thank you, oh, Jeff, so, and uh, yes, um, thank you for the feedback. And and, and at, we did a um, interview with um, um, oh Matthew Waterhouse. Matthew Waterhouse as well. And uh, man, that was my that was actually my that was the convention I signed up at the Gallifrey Embassy. Wow, it's very historic. way way back, 1985. It must have been. You know, if <laughs> I have to explain that one of these, I, you remember the honeymooners? They had all these like lost episodes. They had, that's lots of lost interviews that 
we have at the California Embassy. Mm, that's uh, true. That was a good convention. It was Matthew Waterhouse. It was Judson Scott from V in Star Trek II. Uh, wasn't Bill Mummy there? Or that was the, no. uh, maybe a little bit later. And I remember Ken Ralston, one of the special mm, effects guys yes, from, from, ILM. from ILM, were there. Yeah. I mean, that, think about that for a second. These are Matthew Waterhouse hasn't done a United States convention in God knows how long. Judson Scott, who was in V and the Phoenix and and uh, Star Trek Two, hasn't done a convention in so long. Ken Ralston hasn't done a convention. Wow, what a hell of a lineup! If you had that today, you'd be, people would be like, "Wow, what a great lineup." Yeah, you know? I agree. I, I, I just hope that... instead I'm stuck with Stargate people. <laughs> As we did with this this pod shock, we had a we opened up the vault for um for Colin Baker. I'm hoping that one of these days we're gonna find these lost interviews and we can open up the vaults for because um, we've been over the years. You know, we've been around for 21 years now. We've interviewed a lot of people from <laughs> we're of legal and... drinking age now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and we're taking advantage of it. So. Uh, you know, hopefully, eventually, we'll get some of these old classic interviews out to our listeners. And be, you know, it's interesting from a historical, you know, viewpoint, seeing what they had to say at that time in that period. You know, so it's, it's interesting, even though they may not be up to date. It's still interesting, you know, because you kind of kind of time travel back to that period, and um, you know, and plus, you know, for in the case of John Pertwee, um, you know. It's all the only have. way you can interview yeah. him now. We also we do have um, a Patrick Troughton interview that that we'll have sometime in the future too. That that one you conducted, Lewis. Yeah. Um, these yeah these are definitely I mean when when these people are lost, uh, you know, have passed away. This is really our only way of of keeping them alive and and, and their memories of them being great people and and uh, a lot of fun and, and our heroes. And, and it's then, television and the, history, as we were talking about in last week's show with with Joey Reynolds. You know, this, we're archiving television history because you know, um, you know, we've been around for twenty years, but maybe twenty years from now, you know, <laughs> we may not be doing this. I know. I'm sorry, Dan Danger Mouse. I know you said you hope that we will be doing this until you're in your eighties. <laughs> well, hopefully you're right. And uh, but anyway. You know, we, we need to archive this and, and, and save this for future fans and, you know, because Doctor Who will continue its legacy. Well, it's a way, you know, it's out of our, our, our archives now and it's passed on to the listeners who can pass it on. And, you know, that's out there in the public domain so that um, we're all sharing these things. And, and the other side that I mentioned, like, as an example with Paul Darrow, who we talked about earlier, I would love to re-interview some people having the inter- interview skills that I have today um, and get a second crack at them. You know, I think that would be a lot of fun too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously you can't do it with the people who have passed on, although, you know, uh, there are uh, probably you think of 10,000 questions to ask John Pertwee today. Um, but there are some people that, I, you know, we, we spoke with, with Lala Ward. I mean, I would love to speak with her again, you know, especially now that she's married to, um, Richard Dawkins and things like that. I mean, that's just so many th- so many questions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's and then, I- as we've been talking about time and time again, Lewis, a lot of the people from the classic series, the early, especially the early years, um, you know, that the show was forty plus years ago. They are now some of them in sixties, seventies, eighties. We need to archive them while we yeah, can. Yeah, well, that was my point. That we need to, yeah. uh, you know. These, you know, these opportunities come once in a lifetime, and you know we need to, you know, for for you know not only for us but for future generations as well. And for the the, the posterity of television history, you yes. know, 
Uh, but I want to thank everybody. I, I, I haven't done this in a while, but I want to thank everybody who, who um, subscribes and listens to Podshock every week and, and sends in the feedback and posts on the boards uh, from Lewis and James and myself and, and everybody, all the, 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 uh, the reporters around the world and the people who join us every week. It, it really means a lot to us. Absolutely. And, and I, I think I could probably guess that it means a lot to all the other Doctor Who podcasters out there. You know, there's, there's several of them um, that are available, and we have, it seems like everybody has a really nice community uh, among the podcasters. We, we, we do a lot of um, um, shows where we'll invite other, you know, people from other, show, other podcasts on. We have a great community. We have a very loyal listenership, and... Um, from time to time, we stop and we say thank you so much, and and so many. I mean, we get a chance to peek into people's lives with the feedback and things, and we we share stories, and it really is amazing. It it, it has been, and it, and it continues to be. And um, you know, Lewis was right on point a year and a half ago when he said we're going to do a podcast, and we're going to have people from all over the world on, and people are going to dig it. And I, you know, at first I I said to him, well, it's cool, we'll be talking about Doctor Who, but I don't think anybody's really going to care. And uh, boy, was I wrong. <laughs> well, so Lewis was right on, right on the money with that. Well, thank you. You know, and as we always say, it's, it's uh, for fans, by fans. So we can't do it without you. And we appreciate all your input and, you know, all the contributors and all the feedbacks. And, you know, even those that we don't get to on the show, we, we do read them all and we do appreciate them all. And we... Yeah, and it's extraordinary, you know, it's extraordinary. All right, well, we have um, one last piece of feedback that we want to get to in this show, and um, this is um, a question from a female listener. So um, this is um, Ashley She's Fisher. a she. She's a she. And she writes, Hey, guys, I was just listening That's to... That's us. <laughs> I was just listening to episode 56, and I laughed when you guys mentioned that you need more female listeners. We do exist. I'm not the only female. I'm only 21. Uh, my husband and I love Doctor Who, though we are, th- though ugh, though we are very new to the series. Uh, we've only seen the most recent series. We started. We ugh, I can't speak today. <laughs> we started to hook our 18-month-year-old on the show as well. We started to explore. We're starting to explore the past Doctors. I was wondering who your favorite Doctors are. And on, um, are there any series that are absolutely must-sees? Uh, thanks, guys. Keep up the great work. Ashley Fisher. So thank you so much, Ashley. And, and is it just me, or do we have a lot of Ashleys listening? We do. We do have a lot of Ashleys. That's <laughs> you know, cool. I know we have lots, you know, we do have a, 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 lots of female listeners, but it seems like a good percentage of them are named Ashley. <laughs> it's we also good, have a male though. Ashley too, who wrote into us once. So that's hey, look, it's all good. We, we, everybody's uh, the again. The response is just uh, amazing, and 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 these are questions we get a lot um, as far as uh, yes, uh, yeah. some of our suggestions, some some must sees. First of all, first off, you're gonna have a great time exploring the old Doctor Who. Um, because there's so much to enjoy and so much rich history to the show. So right off the bat, you're in for the time of your life. And secondly, there are some real... What's nice is it seems that the stuff that's out on DVD is some of the real highlights. Not to say that every highlight is available yet, but if you look, you have all the anniversary stories and the, 
the Unearthly Child, the original pilot is in there, as well as the first Dalek episode. You have the 10th anniversary and the 20th anniversary episodes and um, some and, and the classic usual, episodes. the usual fan picks such as, you know, City of Death and um, the Pyramids of Mars and, you know... Um, Alon's a Wang Chiang. Yes. Um, there, there are so many out there and, and so many that in the past we have recommended... Um, 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 you know, from all the Doctor errors, you know. Yeah, and so I mean, the beginning box set. If you can, um, I don't. I want to. I want to phrase this correctly. If you can get over the fact that it's early television, it's black and white, and it's very well, you just low have budget. to keep that in mind and kind of put yourself in, in that mind. time frame. And uh, yeah, you, know, you will enjoy history. the. The, you know, to see where Doctor Who began and how it began. The beginning box set's a nice spot. The Five Doctors, of course, is a, a chance to see many of the classic Doctors interact with each other in just a, just a light, fun romp. And again, if you, you know, there's some of the ones that we mentioned with Pyramids of Mars and uh, uh, Talons of Wang Chiang and City of Death, those are just classic episodes. You know, the Fourth Doctor, probably the most popular of all the Doctor Who's, um, some serious, like Talons and, and Pyramids, and some more lighthearted, like City of Death. So there's some, some great ones in there. Uh, and I'm sure right now there's a forum popping up somewhere about all the ones we Yeah, I was just going to suggest go to our website, thegallifernembassy.org or podshock.net, and uh, search our forums, because a lot of people post their favorite episodes and stories there, and, and you'll find some interesting selections there. And um, you know, So it's a great resource going to our site, and not just our site, any, and lots of Doctor Who sites. Um, you know, so check them and out. And Lewis, I just wanted to... It's just so funny that we're recording Podshock. I, as we're speaking, I just got an email that the DVDs... The Amazon sent me the DVDs of yes, uh, I, I, of Fear and Mark of the Rani have just shipped. Yes, I, I got one too as well earlier. So, and that comes out this week. Well, yes. by the time this Can't airs, uh, it will be out. Uh, the DVDs of The Hand of Fear and Mark of the Rani. Uh, if you haven't picked them up yet, they are available. Mm-hmm. Eldrad must live. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, so that that wraps up for feedback for this week, and um, we want to um, you know thank everyone for their participation, and um, once again, we uh, you know we miss James. Uh, he had um, as Ken says, he's on assignment. On assignment. That's always what they say when somebody's not on the on the broadcast. <laughs> but he's he'll on be, assignment he in return. Amsterdam. And um, and for those that are are questioning, well, why didn't they get Colin? It, it was a last minute thing. We tried to get Colin, but um, perhaps next time. <laughs> <laughs> we tried to get him, really. So Colin, um, you know, let us know, and we'll get you back on the show. So. And we'll mysteriously make James's Skype account disappear for you. <laughs> James, we're losing your connection again. We can't hear yeah, you. Yeah, what's up with that? Oh, that's terrible. No, no, no. We, James isn't going anywhere. He's under contract with us, and <laughs> even if he wants to leave, he can't. <laughs> All right, so um, so I guess um, uh, we want to bid everyone adieu, and um, once again, um, thank you all, and it's, um, don't have too much holiday cheer as you celebrate Doctor Who's anniversary on this month of uh, November, 
Ken, any closing thoughts? Uh, no, I'm Fresh out. just looking forward to what you're going to surprise everybody with next week on the show from the archives. So am I. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I no I'm idea. glad you've been planning this out. <laughs> Alrighty then. Um, take care, everyone. Cheers. We'll see everybody next week. Listening to Doctor Who Podshock by the fan run GallifreyanEmbassy.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Podshock. You can email us at feedback at podshock.net. Oh, why'd you stop it at the best bit? I was rather enjoying that.